Hi, I'm Deborah Hamilton. Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? Ten years ago, with my iPhone and a script, I recorded the first episode of the Ultimate Pet Resolution Summit, which chatted with experts about conflicts over animals. Our conversations were intimate, honest, and illustrated how disagreements over animals occur and how those disagreements can reshape people's lives and relationships. In November 2019, I started Why Do Pets Matter, a new podcast that continued these informative discussions. I'm so excited to have you here with me, continuing my exploration into a more meaningful conversation about why pets matter to all of us. My guests and I will share ideas, stories, and experiences straight from the heart, unscripted and holistic. From the bravest moments to the most brokenhearted, we will explore how to resolve disagreements over animals differently. One thing I know for sure is I want to have more meaningful conversations that will help all of us unlock that deeply felt human-animal bond that drives the emotions of conflict. So today, I feel so blessed to be speaking with Dr. Michael Blackwell from the University of Tennessee. He is the director of Align Care Health, as well as the program for pet health equity at the University of Tennessee. We had such a great conversation. I'm not going to take any time really to talk about it, except to say, at the end of the day, it's setting expectations, having a positive perspective and being mindful um, that will be your takeaways from this wonderful discussion. Now let's hear what Dr. Blackwell has to say. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton again. And today I'm here with a very good friend who I haven't seen in a while, Dr. Michael Blackwell. He is the uh, program director for Pet Health Equity um, and also the director of Align Care. Uh, it just is the tip of the iceberg on finding ways to understand and provide health care for all. So Dr. Blackwell, I hope I said that correctly. And if I didn't, please correct me. Um, and welcome. Thank you so much. Uh, that was very accurate, Deborah. And I sure appreciate the opportunity to visit with you today and to share information that hopefully will be beneficial to your listeners. Um, we appreciate always appreciate people like you who do this because there's a lot of educating that still needs to take place, and this is a tremendously important way to, to inform the an interested public. So thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm so glad you're here, and for the veterinarians who also uh, listen to the podcast, I know that you know how brilliant Dr. Blackwell is and how many times he has really been at the forefront of veterinary medicine, so I'm just blessed uh, to have him here to have our conversation, which of course, everyone starts with, Dr. Blackwell, why do pets matter to you? Wow. You know, um, I think the, the most important thing about pets uh, over my lifetime, and of course, my dad was a practicing veterinarian, and we've had many pets in our families, but um, they make us better humans. I mean, quite, quite literally, they make us better humans. They uh, help us to be less stressed and anxious. They teach us routine and give us structure in our lives. Um, even as a young human, we are able to gain life lessons because of the relationship. So it's not just the adults, it's all the humans. 
And so uh, we could go on and on there, uh, but simply they make us better people, better humans. I I have I can't agree with you more because uh, what is the old saying? I I strive to be the person my dog thinks I am or my cat thinks I am. There we go. Yes. Because you know they just think we are the cat's pajamas, uh, and That's sometimes right. we meet that. Uh, often we don't. And then Roger Karras um, has a, a a saying that's on a pillow in the back of my office, which is my um, dog isn't my whole life, but they make my life whole. Yeah, um, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah, I, I um, you know, you think about this world, um, what it would be like if it, if it was made up of only humans. And we start with the fact that humans are not quite as capable of unconditional love or being non-judgmental. We work at it, we try, but um, there again, uh, our world is a better place because of the presence of, of animals. You know, every day we see in the world that these animals, especially with all the studies, um, around the human-animal bond are creating uh, more sustainable mental health as well as physical yes. health in the human-animal. Um, pets create that ability to go take a walk or you know, get out of the house or meet people. It yeah. is this social piece that was never really appreciated until I think maybe the last 40 years, 50 years, since the 60s. I had... Um, uh, Peter Weinstein on, and he said, I think it started when we developed flea and tick uh, medication. <laughs> he said, because you could bring them in the house and that was it. Once you brought them in the house, you realized how important they were. That's brilliant point. I've never heard it put that way, but yes. And Peter is the person you'd expect to come up with. <laughs> Absolutely. It's It's interesting because with your position at the University of Tennessee and the program that you started and the group that you started, you really are exploring the ability of having people understand both in the veterinary area and in the pet ownership area, um, why pets matter. Yes. You know, it was more than 20 years ago now that um, while I was Dean of the Veterinary College at the University of Tennessee, that we established a new discipline in social work called veterinary social work. And that, that vision grew out of the trends that we've been talking about. And having been in private practice, uh, even though I'm a people person, veter veterinarian, I felt so inadequate when I thought about how much now we're dealing with let's say depression and anxiety in our clients because of what's going on with someone they love and just not skilled through our training to minister to our client in these special ways. So we very much need needed um, a new paradigm, one in which the veterinarian is not the sole guru <laughs> or the most important person in the room necessarily because the situation may actually call for a different skill set, a different knowledge base. And so um, I've been in, I've been mindful of these mental, emotional health issues for quite some time. And um, what, what is ironic about it all is 
veterinarians are some of the most compassionate, caring people you'll you'll ever meet, and uh, are the foremost among the foremost needing um, better support for the compassion that we're trying to express. Yeah, it, it's so important you say that because. Um, the veterinary social work program at the University of, T uh, University of Tennessee was groundbreaking because it gave the opportunity to not only the veterinarians, but to their clients to have someone who's trained in mental health and yeah. emotional issues um, to have a conversation with that, that may be beyond your magnificence. I mean, I know what I'm magnificent for and you know what you're magnificent for. And unfortunately, we also know what we're not good at. Yeah, yeah, you know, if you can recognize that someone can help you in that situation, it is fabulous. I often say that um, you're not meeting a pet owner on their best day uh, in no. most situations that have pets being sick. You know, it's interesting you say that because uh, one of the things that I carry around in my head all the time, or one of the perspectives is how, how skilled we can become at assessing uh, behavior in, in a patient. And now I'm talking about fear, anger, uh, aggression, or whatever. And yet we're not so informed about humans. And yes, if they are, if we are in crisis, we're not on... <laughs> We're we're not presenting our our best face, if you would, and you know, as biologic species, we tend to react to something like that in ways that may not be very helpful. So, just being mindful of humans act out, and that's not a crime. It's actually reflective of the fact we're emotional beings, <laughs> and so we start with, oh, I'm not surprised when that shows up. Now what? And the now what may involve some things I learned to do, but at some point there are things that really could benefit from um, a different professional, like a social worker, mental health uh, professional. Yeah. And I think it's great that it's on both sides of the pet, both the veterinarian and their staff, yes. as well as uh, the pet owners, because in this day and age, Everybody's reactive and defensive. And as you said, being mindful is key. And yeah. being mindful isn't necessarily a human's strong suit uh, when they are going through it, right? Yeah. Mindful afterwards. If we could yeah. okay, uh, if we could breathe, if we could learn those yoga breaths uh, so that we could get out of our amygdala and get back into our prefrontal cortex, that'd be great. However, when we're going through it, I seemingly always forget I should breathe uh, <laughs> better at it. And probably you are too, Michael, but there are times we can think about probably last week or this week where yeah. that doesn't necessarily work for us. And so the veterinary social worker and the training that you're bringing um, through your program will give both the veterinarians and the owners the ability to understand um, and appreciate where someone's coming from and not take it personally. It's sort of like, you know, recognize that this is this is aimed at you right now because you're the only person in the room. Yeah. And, you know, my understanding is um, today's veterinarians are not my dad's veterinarians or even myself. And why why is that? 
Because there are those who say that uh, millennials and Gen Zs are largely shaped by social media uh, era. And uh, the idea of likes is embedded in, in all of that. And so we're already predisposed, or those generations are already predisposed to be hypersensitive to not being liked. And I, I think um, that by itself begs for a lot of attention in this area, uh, in our schools, and certainly continue, through continuing education, support groups, so on and so forth, because this is going to be with us for a while. You know, it's so important to recognize that every generation changes. You know, your father's generation was not your generation. He probably would have said, well, there were idiosyncrasies in that generation too. Lived with you, like my mother told me, and I, of course, tell my kids. Uh, And we need to help them be their best by, as you said, being mindful and recognizing, listen, likes are great. And you're in a profession that unfortunately is not all roses and lollipops. There are times when pets become ill and you have to deliver news and how you deliver that news is something that your program and what I do helps veterinarians diffuse the situation as opposed to escalate. Yes, Because, because we, it's important that we acknowledge those are special moments uh, in the practice of veterinary medicine um, and moments that deserve a proper um, proper treatment, if you would. So, um, you know, I, in, at the end of the day, I think it's a good problem to have because the problem reflects a changing society where those animals that live with families are actually uh receiving acknowledgement by our society that actually benefits them as well you know you just you can't go around abusing them you can't (laughs) neglect them and so on and so forth so it's just an interesting um set of variables and factors there that i'd rather have than the alternative where we don't care about what happens with the animals or the people (laughs) or the people yeah and and to and to Um, I think also, if we can, recognize our biases when we see certain things so that we can get more information before we're reactive. If we see something, um, if we can, and and this has a lot to do with your, I think, access to care, being able to see something, ask curious questions, and then really find out if it's abuse or if it's lack of education, lack of financial ability or, or, or awareness. I mean, there, there are things that people um, might do that, you know, their fathers did, their mothers did, their grandparents did. And um, to be able to help them not feel um, ridiculed, but other move them forward is probably something that you are well, let me know. Are you? That's part of, I think, what the program does. It is. Um, we do uh, focus in this area quite a bit because what you just brought up is as common as it's happening right now as we speak in multiple veterinary service provider uh, locations across the country. And what what is that? Um, 
we start with the fact that here's a caring, compassionate person who wants to help, knows how to help, and somebody is presenting with a situation that uh, should have been there a week ago. And so we, we are already predisposed to be upset about them, them. Um, we, we encourage our veterinarians, you know, let's take a, a deep breath here because uh, we don't know what barriers that person had to overcome in order to be in front of you. And let's just say, because they're in front of you now, uh, they do care and that's good enough. Um, but there are real barriers, and those barriers do interfere with timeliness when it comes to proper care by a veterinary care team. So th this is a great example of just practical realities that we are living with every day. And we can find ways to exist in that reality and do good work in that reality and protect our own well-being in the process. I think when we harbor a judgmental attitude toward our client, and, and in this case, an, a negative attitude, it shows up in our voice tone, in our body language. In other words, most of our communication is not in words. <laughs> it's actually a, a tone of voice in our body language. And so we may think that that doesn't matter, but if I harbor that negative opinion, it's going to come, it's going to come through. And then trust starts to unravel or never gets built to start with because people perceive those messages. So this is not uh, something to be taken lightly, actually. No, you and I are on the same page because it is really difficult to see an animal in distress when it's brought in yeah. and then take a moment to think, this isn't me. I might've brought this dog in a week or two ago. This is someone else. And let's get a little more information. I always say, ask yes. curious questions. Don't ask pointed questions. Why didn't you get the dog here last week? Say, yes. tell me a little bit about your journey here. How did it happen? Well, you know, I work full time. Um, I have two kids. I'm a single parent and, you know, money's tight. And I finally got my bonus. And so I can bring the dog in to look at the dermatological issue, which now might be full-blown mange or something, which had it been caught early, it might not have been. Mm -hmm. However, we don't know what that path to the veterinarian took for that person to get there. So I love the way you put that. Yeah. And I love the way you just articulated that because that was a good example, you know, before uh, it's the way you ask the question and your example is a great one. That means everything. Words do matter. And, but words are driven by attitudes <laughs> and we're in an emotionally charged environment. So we're talking about alignment of planets for things that just blow up. And when they blow up, sometimes they show up in in the, the courts. You know, I mean, um, I think that's lar that's literally one of the outcomes uh, that we're largely dealing with is poor communication. Um, at least that's my perspective, and of course, you're the expert, so <laughs> you would know uh, clearly what 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 those drivers are. Uh, but these things matter to us a lot. And um, my heart goes out to my colleagues because I start with the position that these are caring, compassionate people who really worked real hard to get their degrees and, and are working hard to serve 
a society that is not always presenting in the way you'd like for them to. Um, everybody is losing in that situation. Especially the pet. The pet gets lost in that discussion because I'm so hell-bent on holding you responsible as the vet who did whatever it was wrong that I forget about you know what we were faced with, what we yeah. were attempting to do, and what wasn't the intention of anyone to be the outcome. Yeah, exactly. And you said it a moment ago, um, or implied it, besides this uh, importance of not judging, it's, it's multifaceted what shows up. So in one case, it may be that there was a financial barrier. In other cases, uh, it may be a lack of knowledge and understanding. And that literally is at work. And then there's something else we've measured. Many people are concerned about being judged right. harshly. They're embarrassed by the situation and, <clears throat> and won't show up because of the, the concern that they will be viewed as a bad person. So uh, we've actually measured that as well uh, with our, our work and um, it's just a lot of work that we've got to do, all of us professionals, um, in getting better at how we serve the public. And and I'm sure in that study, it also showed that some people might not come back because they had a bad experience last time. Oh, for and sure. How do you how do you um, climb that mountain uh, yeah. to continue? And it it's with outreach. It's I love when veterinarians get out into the community and join in some community effort and build some out-of-office relationship. Yeah, and that used to be more, I think, more common than today. I'm just, as anecdotal, but um, yeah, it's the relationship. You know, we throw around this acronym, VCPR, VCPR. And I fear that when we look at the size of the letters as they relate to importance, the R is probably one of the smallest letters uh, along with um, the C. Yeah. Because veterinarians, uh, veterinary service providers clearly have self-interest that they must attend to. And so there's definitely going to be a focus there and a huge focus on the patient. But we, we may find ourselves underappreciating that it is literally a relationship and the relationship does extend to the community. It's not in a vacuum. It's not just within our walls. In other words, there's a connection right into the community. And in this social media age, if there were ever a time we, we should be mindful of this, uh, people don't always wanna file a lawsuit or complain to the state board they get on social media and vent their their frustration. So, you know, not operating out of fear as a as a service provider, but just being being mindful that this is a different world, and um, we 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 need to be mindful of some things that historically we didn't have to think about. Maybe I I have to say that the veteran client patient relationship that VCPR you talked about was some of the most important um, topics at the recent AVMLA conference because of telemedicine and things like that. But no one pulled out the R of relationship that you just did, which for me 
would be the ability to um, foster less discord if that relationship and that trust relationship between the client and the um, veterinarian and their staff and the veterinarian staff with the client, if, if we could, I know, and we haven't talked about this before, but probably your studies have shown that there are some biases that come into the room, um, both on the part of the, the client and on the part of the veterinarian. Oh, and we yeah. need to be more aware of that so that um, that relationship can be built with Dr. Blackwell, not with the last veterinarian I saw, yeah. or not with the last breeder. I, I started a program, I was speaking at a corporate event and for veterinarians, and I started a program by saying, um, hi, I'm Deborah Hamilton. Um, I'm an attorney and I'm a breeder. I'm your worst nightmare. And everybody laughed. Everybody laughed. And I said, and you don't even know me. I said, but just because, me, I, right? yeah, uh, just because I identified myself as two things that bring fear to the hearts of veterinarians, um, yeah. I was, I was, it was funny. And I said, this is what I'm going to talk about today. Hmm. Being able to walk in and, you know, have somebody in your room who hopefully your staff hasn't already identified for you. Um, that's always key as well. Oh my God. She was such a pain in the waiting room and she was this and she was that we need to really do better. And I know that's what you're working on, do better yeah. on being um, compassionate and empathetic. Yeah. And in the eyes of people who um, have bad manners, I gave a program once and, oh no, I, I helped a group make, you know, these, these new veterinary programs that say, if you're vicious or if you're, you bite or whatever, um, and we're not talking about the dogs, we're talking about the people. And those things drive me over the edge and down the other side, as I'm sure they do you too. I said, how can you put that up and expect your really good clients not to take offense? I said, because, you know, this is, I said, it has to be, this is what we're providing for you. Yeah. And this is what we hope you will provide for us. Yeah. And if you set up that energy, and I know you're probably a big energy person like I am. If you set up that energy, it yes. is likely somebody is going to be a pain in the hiney in your office yeah. yeah well you know in the aligned care system we actually uh in um enrolling uh families they get some uh, uh information and included in that information uh would be expectations yeah uh relative to how they interact with that veterinarian in other words you can lose your enrollment if you're an abusive person because you know, we're not trying to, um, I guess, scare people, but it's it's understanding that we really need a system that, that actually by design is supporting the relationship. And it is two, it's a two-way street there. Yep. And and at the end of the day, everybody is um, not imperfect, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in an emotionally charged environment. I mean, <laughs> you can't get you know, um, emotionally charged. Pardon. I said you can't get any more emotionally charged when you're dealing with animals, but oh. go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted. No, you can't. In fact, I can tell you over my lifetime, I can't even count the number of times that a client has said, you know, I cried more when I lost my pet than when I lost my mom, my dad. Uh, not necessarily a child. I don't think I've heard that one too often, but 
Oh yeah, there there there's uh there's real emotion going on, and it's a kind that we still don't quite understand, but need to continue to study. You know, uh, going back to that uh, VCPR in a broader context, when I hear discussions about uh, telemedicine, uh, when I hear discussions about the VCPR, using 80-20 approach, 80% of the time, it is a veterinarian-centric perspective. At best, 20% of the time, is there actually a perspective on the people we signed up to serve, um, the family? Um, I, I think it, to the extent that we can start to have these discussions around the outcome that we're seeking to achieve, that is medical care, needed medical care um, for the public, then I think these conversations will shift because um, we need to look out for our own interests. There is a place for veterinary-centric thinking, but you remove the public from the equation and we'll get it wrong every time. We will end up not achieving the outcomes that we really need to. So my, my anxiety rests with, a part of it, my anxiety rests with the fact that a, a growing number of members in our population are underserved, and that is translating into the failure of the profession to meet their needs. And then the question becomes, well, what's going to come out of that? What kind of nation are we? What kind of public do we have? Are they going to say, well, that's just life stinks, and that's just too bad, and that's the end of it? Well, I, I, I think not. I think because these are individuals who love someone that's not getting care they need, it won't go away. And um, and so as we talk about mid-level professionals, it's another one of those arguments. You know, we can say, no, we can do all of this. But that's looking within our walls and what we know we're capable of. When we look outside of those walls of our practices, and start to see, focus in on the growing number of underserved families, well, that ought to inform us about a lot of things as far as what may need to change. I love that you said that because when I go to vet conferences, one of the things that I always ask, and I was on a call last night for SVME, and they were talking about veterinarian, veterinarian, veterinarian. I said, did you check with the clients whether or not what you're suggesting is what the That's client wants? That's it. Because you are doing A, B, C, and D, fabulous for the vets, really works for them, think that the clients are very well served by that, and yet they don't ask the clients if that's actually what they want. And yeah. I um, was informed about that kind of view when I did accessibility uh, conferences with my friend who's blind. He goes, you know, people tell me what I need all the time. He goes, and they never ask me. And it's so blatant, right? So, so it it's so clear if somebody's blind and you're sighted and you're making somebody something for a blind person, you should ask them if they truly need that um, or what do they need. It, but when it comes to pet owners and veterinarians, I have to absolutely applaud you and agree with you 100% because there's not a lot of looking outside the silo for information to be informed. I often say, you know, you have to really have a relationship 
with your client, unless you're treating the Subaru dogs, then you don't have to have any relationship with a client because they're driving themselves to you. It's a beautiful yeah. world. However, this is a relationship that if you build it, they will come. They will come. Yes. They will come and they will respect you. Uh, yeah. You won't need to fire them when practices say to me, well, you know, your, your stuff doesn't give me a process by a way to fire them. And I said, yeah. well, if like probably with what you're teaching, you take it seriously and learn these skills that protect you. I, yeah. I absolutely agree that veterans are underserved in their ability to um, be taken care of. People shouldn't treat them terribly. That's totally yeah. unacceptable. Yeah. I absolutely. Uh, yet given the the skill set and I'm on the other side so I am training the breeders and the pet owners on how to speak to their vet as well because without that collaboration it you know pet owners don't do or don't recognize how their words hurt yeah and and they seem to think well you know it was an emotional time for me well it was an emotional time for your vet too I mean it isn't you know, as if you're just one of a multitude. No, it's an emotional time for your yeah. vet too. Yes, um, I, I sure appreciate this conversation because these are issues related to not only where we are today, but in deciding how we go into the future. So uh, being disconnected from society, being disconnected from these trends in society uh, is a is a recipe for getting it wrong, um, and and you know in all of this I'm optimistic. I think I heard you, you once say you believe in unicorns. I well, do believe in unicorns, and I am Don Quixote. Um, I don't believe in litigation. I don't think litigation is the way to stop veterinarians from being you know bad practitioners. I think sitting down and having a conversation and having people recognize what they did or didn't do, how they might do it better next time is such a better method of yes, fixing an issue than legislating or punishing. I mean, yes. there's, there's, you know, there's room for punishment that's already in place. My thought is, I don't think any pet owner um, is going to, with a lot of knowledge, not care for their pets. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't think any veterinarian um, is going to actively not care for your pet. Um, as they say in the vernacular, shit happens yeah. and life gets in the way. And when you come in, let's be in the moment, like our dogs and cats, right? They live in the moment. They don't know it's raining outside. They don't care. You know, they, they probably wonder about us. Like, don't they get it? I mean, <laughs> Live in the moment. You know, the dog is there. The cat is there. Let's see what we can do. Let's not think about yeah. what they should have brought it in or what they're going to do when they go home. I mean, yeah. there is that education. I had a student once say to me at Colorado State University, you know, I, we tell them three times how to care for their pet and they still get it wrong. I said, I get it. And so my process is I'm going to hold that frustration for you because yeah, I get it. That is so frustrating. You've told them three times and they still get it wrong. And you're telling them something three times at a point in time where they probably are hearing every other word. And we just need to be empathetic about that. That's so brilliantly stated. You know, it, it gets back to what we've already mentioned. You know, when we assume that we're in a crisis posture and the person, I'm assuming, the person who loves their pet is in crisis. Of course, the pet is certainly, depending on the illness or injury, they're in crisis. Yeah. 
Um, when when we think about that, um, it tells us a ton about what should and should not be done, but we don't necessarily know those things. And at some point, we we shouldn't try to know those things. What's missing is veterinary medicine found ourselves into the 21st century without a system of delivering veterinary care. We've been these one-stop shops, everything under the roof, and really not connected with the larger healthcare system in any manner. And therein is the failure. And no one intended this. I'm just saying our work is about bringing about a system because in a system, it's understood that the veterinary service providers have a role and what that role is, but that role is connected by design with other professionals or other part of that healthcare system. And in this case, we're talking about mental health experts or people who can assist the veterinary care team with that client, because at some point, the situation is beyond our capabilities. And rather than just dismiss it and say, well, you know, I hope to never see you again, that's not necessarily the best answer. It may be, this is why we need it, to partner with other professions so that a system is operating um, in the care of that patient. And I think that's something we're going to talk about next time. Hopefully I'll be able to grab you in the next six months and we'll go through what Align's doing for that One Health concept. Not to do it. Because yeah. it is all about, and we've recognized this now because we're getting smarter with age. Um, we're getting much smarter about the care that veterinarians bring to our pets that then bring care to us because our pets are healthy and well. Um, yeah. So it it's all a, it's all interconnected. And we're only finding out now through the huge... Uh, studies in human-animal bonding, the health um, importance of having pets. And I will raise my hand, the most disenfranchised people in the universe are people who don't like pets. Um, and I uh, want to appreciate them as well, because that's okay. Uh, however, you know, the people who do have pets, um, there was a New York Times article just this past weekend where somebody hadn't had a pet her whole life and got one, and now her life is totally changed. Uh, it was a beautiful story. That doesn't necessarily happen, but we have to respect um, everyone. Um, Dr. Blackwell, these 30 minutes go way too fast, and I'm so grateful you're here. I think, you know, our talk pointed out the need for, you know, appropriate expectations and perspectives and mindfulness, because yeah. I think that will help all of us navigate this new practice of veterinary medicine and pet ownership. Well, thank you so much for this opportunity. I've enjoyed uh, this conversation and thank you again for all that you're doing and helping to educate the public about these issues. Well, thank you so much. The Why Do Pets Matter podcast drops every Thursday and can be found on whichever platform you find your podcast. Subscribe now, invite your friends, and I cannot wait to have you join me in these conversations.